We're going to take a couple of testimonies. I know there's one or two of you that got testimonies that you might want to say something. And then we're going to get into something in the book of Proverbs that I'm going to show you a little, just a little bit about how awesome God is. Now then, I know you had a testimony. Come up here and let's, let's give it. <clears throat> and then we'll go from there. Uh, oh, Ty's got the mic. Okay. Come here, brother, and tell us what God has done for you and your family. God is so good. Amen. Hey. Amen. Amen. He's in control. I just want to let you know I have a little mother down in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, she had a stroke about three weeks ago, three Fridays ago. I called the ministry, and I said, Pray with me that my mother would be restored. So I'm here to give you a praise report this morning and let you know that because of your prayer, you know that for the first time she was in a fetal position for four years in a rest home where she couldn't she couldn't open her hands or anything. And my sister told me to be sure to tell you <laughs> that God showed her for the first time she opened her hands like this in four years. And she opened her mouth in four years, wide as she, and yawned, you know. And two days later, she was talking because she couldn't talk for three weeks. So that's a praise report. I just want to give God all the glory. Amen. Praise the King. He's still in business, and he knows what he's doing. We have to believe and continue to stay in faith. Now, is there anybody else that has a testimony or anything you want to give before we get into the study of the Word? Do we have anything else? Anything else? Nothing else? Okay, I didn't want to miss anybody. Okay, let's, let's go to the Scripture. And I guess Jordan's going to do this for me today. Jordan, praise the Lord for you, son. We're going to Proverbs chapter 8. That's where we're going to go, to Proverbs chapter 8. <laughs> this is a, this is some awesome things in this book. As I sat there in the early hours of this morning and read through a large portion of the Proverbs, uh, you know, when I came to this chapter, you know, I, I just like it's just like when I got the revelation from God, and some of you may be just as uh, surprised as I was the first time that I read in the scriptures in First Kings and Chronicles where God had a board meeting in heaven. You know, I I thought what. I mean, God's having a board meeting in heaven. He's calling His saints together, and He's asking them what they think He should do. I mean, I didn't think God ever needed any help, did you? But it's obvious He does need help, right? In other words, just like, just think, right in the very beginning, God said, and let us make man. Plural, right? Not us, you know. So, who all was he talking about? Who knows? Now, then, that I've seen what I've seen over in these other scriptures, in Kings and Chronicles, when you know we had a king that was disobedient, 
down here on earth. If you ever read that story, you might read that sometimes in First Kings and Chronicles. It's really awesome to think that one day God came before His host of saints, and I mean, not saints, but His spirits, and He calls His spirits together and says, Boys, i got a question. I've got a king down there on earth that's not being obedient. He's not doing what I told him to do. So what do we need to do to get rid of this king? It's time for him to die. How would you like for God to do something like that to you, Fred? You ain't ready for that either, are you? So, you know the way to keep from getting that, having that happen to you? Walk in obedience, right? Absolutely. But God called His spirits together and said, How are we going to get rid of Him? And one of them said this, and one of them said that, and one of them said that, and uh, He didn't like any of them. <clears throat> Finally, one of them come to him and said, I know, I will go down to the earth and I will become a lying spirit in the mouths of his prophets. God said, that'll do it. You can go do that. Now, these men that were prophets, now this is a true story I'm telling you. This is right out of the Word of God. If you don't believe what I'm telling you, go get the Word of God. I ain't going to tell you nothing. It's not the truth. It's in there. It's in there. But this this spirit that said, I know, I will go down to the earth and I will become a lying spirit in the mouths of his prophets. God said, that's it. That'll do it. You can go. And so this spirit that was in the throne room of God in that board meeting went down to the earth and went into the mouths of all of his prophets and became a lying spirit. Now, this spirit was in the throne room of God. This will show you who's in control of the universe. Until you, you know, you cannot know God outside of this book. You know that? Oh, we got a lot of ideas of who we think God is. But you can't know Him until you read about Him in this book. When you read about Him in this book, He's so different than what you've heard. Most people won't believe what they read in this book. God would never do that. Oh, yes, He will. Because He put it in two different books of His Bible. This story I'm telling you about. So that prophet went down, and of course that prophet immediately began to tell the king, why don't you go to battle against these people? You'll win. You'll look really good. He said, let me talk to another one. What do you say? Yeah, go to battle. You're going to look so good, you'll win. Yeah, I'm not sure I like that. Let me get another one. Oh, we got it on the screen, huh? First Kings, okay, this is it. Okay, so he keeps asking, what do I do, you know? What do I do? And they said, go to battle. And he said, I don't believe you guys. Is there a real man of God in the house? Well, there wasn't one in the house, but he says, go out there and get him. So they went out and found the true man of God. When the true man of God came in, he said, what do you say? First of all, the prophets that went out to get him said, tell him, go to battle and he'll win. So he comes in and says, what do I do, man of God? He said, go ahead and go to battle. You'll win. He said, you're lying to me. You're saying the same thing their others are saying. I want the truth. He said, okay, if you go out there to battle, you're going to die. He said, I'm telling you, every time I ask you something, you ain't never got nothing good to tell me. Put him into prison, lock him up, and feed him bread and water only. 
Now see, he wanted the truth when he gave it. He didn't want to hear it, did he? Isn't that the truth? We don't want to hear it today either, do we? So the man says, I'm a man of God and I told you the truth. But he went to battle. Of course, the battle was a long deal. You know, he tried to deceive everybody. He had another one of the kings put on his garments, if you read the whole story in detail. And he put on some just casual clothes and armament and everything. And he's out there, and they got after the king, which they thought was the king. And it wasn't. when they got there, they said, that's not him. That's not him. And so, just think, when God, is, when God serves a death sentence on you, if you've done something wrong, like this particular story here in the Kings, there was a man off over there said, well, let me just see what I can do. And he pulled his bow back and, just, and shot an arrow at random, the Scripture says. And Ahab's in a chariot running full bore with a full suit of armor on, and that area just happens to go in right through the crack of where his shoulder fits and went right into his heart and killed him. You read that in detail, you'll find out that story is exactly what I just told you. It's in the Word of God. See, when people say, God would never do anything like that, the king of the universe is in charge of the universe. You know that? Some things he does, we don't understand. You know, like when my sister got killed, I didn't understand that. Like little Brietta dying, I don't understand that. But I do know he's in charge. I do know He's prepared a place for all of those in eternity. I know that those girls of mine went to heaven. I know Brietta's in heaven today, James. There ain't no doubt in my mind. That little girl's up there dancing, running through the tulips this morning. You know. She ain't bound, you know. But I want to, I want to read a little more. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 8 now. And I want you to see a little bit about this God that we serve, and how awesome He is. Proverbs chapter 8. Let's go to the NLT, the New Living Translation. That's the one I'm going to be reading out of. Let's go to the NLT. Okay, there we are. Listen as wisdom calls out. That's something we don't do very well. Listen and hear what God's telling you today. Pay attention. Hear as understanding raises her voice. She stands on the hilltop and at the crossroads. What are we talking about? Who is this? Wisdom. Very awesome. You know, the Scripture also tells us in the New Testament... He tells us in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 5, Any man lacks wisdom, where can you get it? Where does he say get it? Ask God, who gives liberally to all without finding fault. But when you ask, you must ask in faith, nothing wavering. If you don't believe he'll give you wisdom, well, what is wisdom? I used to think about wisdom. I meditated on the Scripture. Lord, I don't understand what wisdom is. I looked at it and I saw what you could do with it. And I thought, what really is it? Because, you know, we read words and we don't understand the meaning of the words. One day, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, what in the world does this word wisdom mean? I ask you for it. I go out and do great things in your name. I build buildings. I fly airplanes. I design equipment. I work on stuff. I do everything. And I do it. And I know it's got to be coming from you. 
But what does this word wisdom mean? He said, when you ask me, I give you the knowledge to know what to do. I give you the wisdom and how to do what you want to do with the knowledge you've gained through the world. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge you have. I thought, isn't that amazing? Now I understand why a guy that went to school and got a master's degree or a Ph.D. and he can't come in out of the rain. You know, when it starts raining, I mean, have you some of you ever seen people that would been to school all their life and can't do nothing? Can't even find a job? But yet there's some young man that graduated in the 10th grade and he serves Jesus. I mean, he's always been a family that loved God. The guy's got his own business and he's worth millions or whatever. Or he's a very prosperous, successful man. And somebody said, well, I don't understand. This guy's got a Ph.D. and he can't even pay his rent. But this guy, he's got a 10th grade education and he's got trucks and tractors and, and equipment and he's working and he's, how do you do this? He said, praise God, I serve Jesus. Hey, that's the first indication, isn't it? Like yesterday when we left Kilgore. Ty and Cheryl come in their own airplane because they came a little later. I took a plane load up down in our airplane. So when we left, well, I had to go early because I had to be on a radio show down there for an hour yesterday. Dave and I did. And so when we got ready to leave, well, they got out there just a few minutes before we did. And, and they took off and I told Ty, I said, leave your radio turned on this frequency and I'll call you when we get airborne. Oh, he's gone. We get out there and we get out. We get airborne. I get a few hundred feet high. And I call him. I said, Ty, where are you? He told me exactly where he was and everything. And he's praising the king. You know, praise the Lord. You know, you don't hear many pilots say that. You know, and of course, every time I say something, I say, praise the king. Thank you, Jesus. And I don't know where it was, but you know, there's who knows how many pilots could be listening to what we were saying. One of them come back and said, you guys are impossible. I said, praise the king. Praise the king. You know, the more I think about that and the more I fly, the more I'm going, since this nation is supposedly based and founded upon the Word of God, I'm going to start every time a controller calls me, I'm going to say, praise Jesus, and then make my statement. This is Cessna... 2957 Quebec. Praise Jesus. I'm at 33,500 or 9,000. Praise God. I'm at 40. I'm doing 210 knots. Praise the King. What do you want me to do next? <laughs> we'll see what they say. And if somebody says, don't talk about this Jesus. I say, hey, I'm a Christian. I live in America and I have the freedom and I pay my taxes and this airplane belongs to the living Savior ministry and I'm a son of God and this country was founded on freedom in Jesus. I'm going to exercise my authority as a son of God. I mean, the king, he don't like to be put down. He wants us to glorify him. He didn't say it wouldn't be without problems, did he? Wisdom. That's what this whole book of Proverbs is about. But listen to this. At the entrance of the city, at the city gate, she cries aloud. What's crying aloud? Wisdom. It wants to give itself to you. I call to you, to all of you. I am raising my voice to all people. Wisdom is crying out. 
wants to give itself to us. How naive you are. Boy, is that true. Let me give you common sense. How many of us need common sense? Hey, I heard a, I had the only thing I think I've ever heard I thought was really supernatural was a Ph.D. at the seminary. There was a professor of, of whatever at the, one of the, the Southern, Southwestern or whatever. He come to our church one time and he was speaking. And one of our men there had graduated from there. And he made a statement. It was kind of in jest. But he said, you know, this young man has a lot of common sense. He said, you know, we would like to teach a course on common sense, but we have never been able to find a professor to teach it. (laughs) I thought, how true that is. How true that is. We've never been able to find a professor to teach a subject on common sense. Wisdom. Wisdom. Where do we get that? From the king. Then he says, Oh, foolish ones, let me give you understanding. Listen to me, for I have excellent things to tell you. Boy, does he ever have excellent things to share with you. Everything I say is right. Now, how many spirits or how many people do you know that can give you counsel and every time they give you counsel, they're 100% right? I ain't never met that person yet, have you? But Jesus has that spirit of wisdom that we can go to and everything that spirit of wisdom tells us is right. All you got to do is believe it. Listen to it. For I speak the truth and I hate every kind of deception. He will never deceive you. My advice is wholesome and good. There is nothing crooked or twisted in it. My words are plain to anyone with understanding. My words are plain to those that have understanding. And clear to those who want to learn. Some people don't want to learn, do they? I want to learn. I've always had a desire to learn. I want to learn how to do everything. When I see anything, I mean, I think about when I was coming up as a young man. When I saw things, I saw my daddy working on things. I wanted to know how it worked. I went to the Chevrolet house and they offered me a job washing cars. I said, man, I want to know how to be the best car washer there is. And man, I fixed them cars up, cleaned them carpets. I mean, I worked diligent. I made some of them old cars that come in there and look like brand new ones. I wanted to do a good job. And then out of that, the guy said, wow, son, you really work hard. He said, you know, when you're not working on them, why don't you come over here and I'll teach you how to be a paint and body man. I said, I want to be the best. I had no idea, you know, that he's teaching me. I learned how to paint cars, do body work, everything. And then, of course, the guy up front, he was working on them. And every time I'd get caught up, he'd bring me up and show me how to work on a car. First thing you know, I'm over on engines, transmissions, rear ends. You know, I'm painting cars, putting bodies on them. I'm cleaning them up. Now, all of a sudden, I know everything there is to know about a car. I can fix anything on a car. I mean, back in those days, I mean, any of Sharon over there, she said, yeah, yeah, sure you <laughs> I got to tell you, Sharon went out there. She said, she works for me. I do these things for a few of these daughters of mine. Don't you bring me your car to work on. 
But Sharon, she had a vibration in hers the other day, and uh, one of the men here checked it for her and told her that the rear you don't about to fall out, and she needed to get it fixed quick. So she took it somewhere right here and got it fixed. And, uh, of course, you know, it cost her a lot of money to have them two U-joints put in. And when she got out there, we was talking about it, and I said, Sharon, I, I hate that, you know, that you spent that much money. I said, I could have put those two U-joints in there in 30 minutes. It cost you $25. You know, it cost her $200, you know. So, but she said, well, she said, you know, my steering wheel's about to fall off, too. <laughs> I said, What? And I go out there, and it is. I mean, the whole, the whole thing's loose. I said, Sharon, I can't let you drive that home. That's extremely dangerous. So I took it out there, and I had to pull that tilt wheel assembly all apart, completely apart. And, of course, there's four bolts in it that holds it to the collar down in there. And they're the last thing you get there if you tear everything out. So I got it all tore apart, and then I... Tried to put it back together in the dark after holding a flashlight in my mouth, and I, I got one of the uh, deals. I missed one of the uh, little coupling deals that was down in there. I hooked up to something, and it wouldn't work. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll wait till daylight. So tomorrow I went out there and looked, and Dave went out there with me. And, of course, when I took it apart again, I looked, I had to tear it all back apart completely because one thing I'd put in was the dimmer switch, that rod, I couldn't see it in the dark, and it got turned on the inside of the U, U joint instead of on the outside, so I'd take it all apart to get that thing out. So I got to overhaul it twice for her. So anyway, I got it all fixed, put back together and everything, and it's all nice and tight. Of course, the next day she said, my, my car drives like a new one. It don't vibrate no more, and the steering wheel's tight again. So we can do anything, you know, we have the mind of Christ, but don't bring me your car. I don't do that for a living no more, you know. I do that for a few of my daughters, and of course, Wendy here a while back. Wendy says, uh, uh, "Wendy says, uh, Pastor, my car's got to have a water pump. It's going to cost three hundred and fifty dollars to fix it." I said, "Wendy, let me take it around and check it for you." So I took it around and checked it, and I, Dave, he said, "Yeah, water pump's leaking," and I said, "Okay." I said, "Dave, I got an engine here that I built brand new, just like that one, but I've never used it. I'll just take the pump off, brand new." I said, "I'll just give it to her." And while I'm talking, he went out there and takes it off, puts a pump, and we put a brand-new water pump on it, or he does. And I just give her the pump, and don't take an hour. He changed the pump and fixed it. And I took it around. I said, okay, honey, your car is fixed. She said, what? I said, yeah, we put a new water pump on it. She said, what did it cost? I said, nothing. It's free. Now, you can't beat that, can you? I See, they were going to charge her 350 bucks to do something. I could buy the pump for 35 or $40. And, of course, it don't take but an hour or so, hour and a half to put it on. But Dave did it. And so, you know, I mean, once in a while for my little daughters out there, I call all those girls out there mine and Cheryl's daughters. You know, we're mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, and they're our daughters. So we have to take care of the daughters once in a while. But anyway, God has given us wisdom to do anything you want to do. All you got to do is ask Him, and nothing is impossible. Nothing. He'll give it to you. So let's continue on here. There's nothing twisted or crooked. My words are plain to anyone with understanding, clear to those who want to learn. Now, you've got to want to learn. And if you have a want to and you ask God for wisdom and believe you've got it, He'll show you and teach you how to do anything. Won't He? Yes, sir. You can do anything. Yes, Absolutely no problem. Choose my instruction. Now, this is where we go wrong. There's very few people are going to do this. Choose my instructions rather than silver. Oh, we're going to take that gold. Somebody hands it to us, right? Then silver and knowledge over 
pure gold. What are you supposed to choose? Wisdom. For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Far more valuable. Nothing you desire can be compared with wisdom. If you haven't asked God for wisdom lately, if you're trying to run a company or a business or a home, a marriage, and you're not asking God to give you wisdom how to do it, you have been cheated. If you want to know how to run your life, ask God to give you wisdom. He will give it to you. And then when He gives it to you and starts showing you things, realize it's Him. Don't turn your back on Him. Don't say, no, God, I ain't going to do that. I'll do that. Because He'll give it to you, won't He? Sure He will. I, wisdom, that's what He says. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. Hey, we got a couple of spirits here now that are living together. Can you think of a couple of more spirits that you would love to have living in your house that are living together with you in spirit and good judgment? Isn't that awesome? I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. Oh, I love discernment. Isn't that awesome? That's a tough one. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Now, if you fear God, you ain't going to be where evil is. You ain't going to take part in it. You're not going to be out there getting drunk with the boys, hanging out with the girls that are being prostitutes. You ain't going to go there with them. You ain't going to be one of them. All that's evil. God says, all who fear the Lord hate evil. I'm telling you, if you don't hate evil and you get hooked up with it, you ain't going to like what's going to happen in your life. You won't like it. I mean, I see people all the time that all kinds of calamities comes upon them. And they didn't hate evil. They lived in it. And then he says, That is why I hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and perverted speech. There was a young man, oh, that's a pastor, was talking to me the other day, and he said, Thurman, I had an awesome experience the other day. He said, I was with four or five guys, and we were all Christians. And we're after church. We're standing out in front of the church. And he said, we get to kind of laughing and talking, and, you know, we're praising God. We're just praising Him. And we're talking wonderful things from the Word of God. And he said, all of a sudden, I, I looked around, and in the spirit world, I could see angels all around. I thought, what is going on? I ain't never been able to see this. He said, I'm seeing angels. He said, wow, this is awesome. He said, we're praising God. These angels are getting closer and closer to us. And he said, then all of a sudden, one of the boys said, oh, you know about Susie. You know heard what Susie's doing? One of the guys said, yeah, I heard she's sleeping with another guy. One of them said, yeah, she ain't worth nothing anyway. He said, the conversation totally changed to perverted speech. He said, all of a sudden, them angels begin to move back. And said, so these little black demons begin to run into the circle. He said, God, what is this? He said, this is a glimpse into the spirit world. 
He says, as long as y'all was praising me, the angels were drawing near. They were around you, protecting you. But when you got over into that perverted speech, the angels left and the demons were drawn in. You know, we don't think about that, do we? But here it is in the Scripture. Right here. He's explaining these things to us. That is why I hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and perverted speech. If God don't like it, we need to stay way away from all them things, don't we? Amen. If God don't like something, you better stay away from it if you want to have a good life. Because if you get in something He don't like, you ain't going to have a good life. It's going to be terrible. Good advice and success belongs to me. Good advice and success belongs to me. Who's he talking to? To wisdom. All these things belong to wisdom. Insight and strength are mine. Because of me, wisdom, kings reign and rulers make just laws. Why do you think we've had some good rulers in this country that have made some of the great founding statements they've made about how this country should be ruled? They found it in the book, didn't they? They found wisdom. God give that to them. And we still got these things ingrained in granite. When you go to the Washington, D.C., you get to see all this stuff. The Ten Commandments is ingrained in granite, but yet they won't let a judge have them on his wall on a plaque. Something wrong with this picture. We're giving in to evil. And I think it's time we, especially the church, stop giving in to the places of darkness. We need to stand our ground for righteousness and holiness and the Word of God. We need to not be ashamed of the King. Just like me and Ty was on the radio last night coming out, we wasn't ashamed of Jesus. We didn't care who was listening. Did we, Ty? No, we don't care. We're sons of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus. He's our God. I love all who love me. Oh, what if you don't love Him? Then He don't love you. If He don't love you, what's He going to do for you? Nothing. That's absolutely right. So this love is conditional. You've got to love Him. He ain't going to give you all this knowledge and wisdom and all this discernment and all these things if you don't love God. If you love God, and then you ask, He'll give it to you, won't He? This is a spirit. The spirit of wisdom. Those who search for me. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I just can't walk up here and get Him. He said, i got to search for Him. Those who search for me will surely find me. Unending riches, honor, wealth, and justice are mine to distribute. Now, if all those things belong to the spirit of wisdom, I think we ought to be seeking Him more than we ought to be seeking the world, don't you? Unending riches. Honor, wealth, and justice are mine to distribute. If you see God, He just pour these blessings out upon you, won't He? Sure He will. My gifts are better than the purest gold. 
My wages are better than sterling silver. I think we're confused, don't you? We look for the gold and the silver. We get so busy working for the gold and the silver, we forget to serve God. And here's a king out here saying, you know, I'd love to give you things much better than silver and gold. I'd like to give you all this wisdom. But you're too busy out there in the world. You're not searching for me. And that's what's wrong with us in the church today. We don't study the Word of God. We look to the world to take care of our problems and don't go to God. And that's why we have all the problems we have, because we don't seek God. We don't seek this wonderful wisdom. We look for our answers everywhere except with the King. Just think, whenever they called the ministry center and whoever prayed for his mother, God and His awesome grace and wisdom, Took a woman had been drawn up in a fetal position for four years, you say, brother? Four years, and let her open her hands and mouth and set her free. I mean, do we serve an awesome God? Now, see, they could have went everywhere, anywhere, and ain't nobody could have done that for her, is there? Ain't nobody can do that but God. Nobody. My wages are better than silver and gold. I walk in righteousness in paths of justice. Those who love me inherit wealth, for I will fill their treasuries. Hey, I mean, this, this, this really inspired me this morning to seek the wisdom of God more. Everything is in His hand. Everything. Then He says, the, oh, look at this next one. This is what really got me. The Lord formed me from the beginning. When did He make him? Way back yonder. Who knows when that was? We don't have a clue. The Lord said in His Word with the Lord, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So, for a being that has no dimensions of time. So, He made him a hundred trillion years ago. We don't know, do we? But with God, that's nothing. That's nothing. Before He created anything else, He created me wisdom. That was the first. I was appointed in ages past at the very first, before the earth began. I was born before the oceans was created. He was born. Before the springs bubbled forth their waters, before the mountains and the hills were formed, I was born. Before He had made the earth and fields and the first handfuls of soil. God made a handful of soil. That's kind of like that joke. You know, these two scientists. They said, God, we're smart as you are now. We can clone a man. We can make man ourselves. We don't need you anymore. He said, okay, God's not intimidated by man. He said, we'll show you, God, we're going to make a man. So they go out there and they scoop up a handful of dirt. And he said, what are you doing? They said, well, we're going to take this dirt, we're going to make a man. He said, no, 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 that dirt's mine. You make your own dirt. I made that. That's mine. You make your own dirt. Then you can make your own man. Oh, 
the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. Our stupidity. We got some people today that's so well educated, they've completely gone over the hump of stupidity. I was there when he established the heavens. Who were we talking about? Wisdom. I was there when he established the heavens. When he drew the horizon on the oceans. Isn't that amazing? And you think you know a little bit about this God? Give me a break. There ain't no way we can, we can read this book forever. And we still, with all this knowledge, we still only have touched a service on who he really is. Right, Tom? He's awesome. All we got to do is trust him. He does a lot of things we don't understand, like we've talked about earlier today. But we do know he's in control. We know he's in control. I was there when he set the clouds above. I think about those clouds. I think about yesterday morning. When we got up to flew down to fly down to Kilgore down there, I mean there was not a cloud in the sky. You could see forever. It was beautiful. And this morning I get up and look out there and there's clouds everywhere. One minute you can see for miles, can't you? And the next minute you're in the soup and you can't see nothing. And you come down here to 120 to 150 knots and you're flying right in. Keith, an airline pilot over there. And all of a sudden, all them instruments tells him, right down there just a little ways, there's supposed to be a runway. And he's got 100 or 200 or 300 or whatever people on his airplane he's flying. And he's flying at this tremendous speed. And he's looking totally at instruments. He's in that cloud, thick as it can be. And he can't see nothing but the inside of the airplane. But yet he knows he's going 100 and something miles an hour. And all of a sudden, just maybe a couple hundred feet above the ground, there's a set of lights flashing. And he lands that beast on the ground. Now, what if it instruments that have been wrong? Ooh! That wouldn't be no fun, would it, Keith? But you have to fly by faith, don't you? Many a time, a pilot will fly in somewhere, and you can't see nothing. Just like the other day, we went out to uh, Lubbock. We did an automatic approach out there, and the glide slope captured, and we're going down, and Dave said, Thurman, I don't see nothing. We're in the clouds. I said, don't worry about it, Dave. It's right down there. The instruments say it's down there. The GP, he said, yeah, I know the GPS says it's down there, but I can't see nothing but clouds. I said, don't get excited. It's down there. We keep going. He's looking. And all of a sudden, we get about three. He said, you're just at 300 feet above the ground, according to the altimeter. And he said, there it is, Thurman. There's a runway right straight in front of you. He was really excited to see the ground. <laughs> he wanted to see that ground because you couldn't see it. You know, we were flying by faith. Now, that's what we have to do with our life, isn't it? Amen. And we fly by faith according to what's written in this book. And when we trust this book and fly by faith, it always works out good. But, you know, a lot of us have not done that. We've flown by blind eyes. We didn't read the Scripture. We're believing maybe what somebody else told us. And they say it's okay to do this or okay to do that. Well, now, where do you get that? Well, yeah, well, my grandmother told me that. Well, grandmother might have been wrong. You need to go to the Word and check it out for yourself. Well, grandmother might have been wrong. Just like in the church I was raised up in, nobody ever even talked about healing her demons. But I saw them in the Word. And when I confronted them and asked them about it, 
No, Thurman, you know, these demons, that's, we don't talk about them. The devil, you know, that's, maybe he's down in Africa or somewhere, you know. But to cast out demons, no, that's not something we do. Or, how about praying for the sick, for they to be healed? No, that died off with the apostles. So now then I'm going to search the Scripture and find out if I can find that. Because they can't tell me where it's at. And then I found out they couldn't tell me where it was. I found out that's something somebody had told them. That's kind of like somebody told me the other day. I think it was at Yeshua. I don't know who it was. But somebody, they were cooking something. And they said that the roast was trimmed on all four sides and then put in a pan. Maybe it's Sharon. I don't know who it was. Somebody, one of these girls told me this. And somebody come along and said, why didn't you cut off all that good meat? She said, well, I really don't know. I mean, my mother did it that way. <laughs> Mom always cut off the sides, you know, and the ends. Well, let's go talk to Mama. Went to my, Mama, why did you do that? I said, well, I don't know. My mother, grandmother, she did that. So grandmother was still alive. So I went to grandmother and said, Grandma, why did you always cut the ends off of those big roasts? Oh, she said, because my pan was too little and they wouldn't fit in there. <laughs> Think how much meat those families had wasted or cooked in another pot, you know, because they, they didn't believe, the, you know, they didn't know why they were doing what they were doing. Are we creatures of habit? Yeah, we see grandmother do something, it's got to be right, right? You know, or especially if great-grandmother did it, you don't ask any question. You know she's the most knowledgeable person around. You have no idea why grandmother does what she did. Well, grandma did it because somebody else did it. Well, you need to ask questions. And who do you need to ask? God. You need to ask for wisdom. Then he says there, he was there when he established, he was there when he set the clouds above, when he established the deep fountains of the earth, I was there when he set the limits of the seas, I was there. Who was there? Wisdom. Has he been around a while? Do you think we can trust him? Oh, yeah. He's been there. He was with the Lord. But all these things. And he says, just think. Just think. This is the picture I see. God made this magnificent spirit called wisdom. And then he says, how would you do this? He put all knowledge in him. He said, we're going to build a universe. How would you do this? And wisdom said, this is the way we would do it. Because God put in the spirit of wisdom all truth and all knowledge. Is that what he said? So if you ask him how to do something, is he ever going to be wrong? No, never. He said he wasn't. There ain't nothing in him but truth. I was there when he set the limits of the seas so they would not spread beyond their boundaries. He knew how that happened. And when he marked off the earth's foundations. Wow. Have I marked off some foundations for some buildings in my life? Have you marked off some foundations for some buildings in your life? But we ain't never thought about doing one building to lay the earth on it, have we? No. That's, no, no. We don't have that kind of wisdom, do we? But... Wisdom had that kind of understanding. And he was there when he marked off the earth's foundations. I was the architect at his side. I've seen some pretty good architects, haven't you? But I ain't never seen one like this one. He was the architect at God's side to build and design the earth and the cosmos. That's a little beyond my ability to grasp. Isn't it yours? 
What I'm trying to show you today, that we have a source for all this knowledge, all this wisdom, all this understanding, and it's the spirit of wisdom. And he is willing to help us if we will ask. I mean, I ask for wisdom. I mean, I read that scripture in James chapter 1, verse 5, when I was a young man. Any man lack wisdom, let him ask God. Of course, after I got the revelation from God, what wisdom was, I mean, I never went on a job. I never went to do anything. I never went to build or design any piece of equipment. Nothing. Except I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, I've got to have wisdom how to build this. I've got to have wisdom how to design this. I've got to have wisdom how to fly this airplane. I've got to have wisdom, and I know you'll give it to me. I've got to know how to fix this car. I, anything. And He has given me the wisdom. I have never in my life undertaken anything, any project, I don't care what it is, build, fix, repair, fly, anything that I've asked God. He hadn't given me supernatural abilities to come out on top and be almost number one in my class of everything I've ever decided to do. Where did I get that? From God. Did He tell me to ask for it? Would He give it to me? Was that available to all, did He say? Then why don't we all ask Him? Why do we go through life trying to do things and never ask God? He's the one who knows how to do it. I was the architect at his side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. He's always in the presence of God the Father. And how happy I was with what he created. Why do you think he was so happy with what God created? Because he asked wisdom how to do it. And then he did it. You know, it used to really make me happy whenever one of the core VPs would come down and say, Thurman, we've got a massive project over here. Sit down with me and explain to me how you would do this. I said, Lord, I've got to have understanding and knowledge now how to do this. We would sit down and maybe a half a day or two days later or a week later or whatever, we'd come up with a plan And he said, this is awesome. We'll build it. And then we would build it, and it would work out perfect to meet the company's needs exactly right every time with a really budget that they was below what they thought they could build it for. Where did I get that knowledge? Where did I get that wisdom? From God. It made of what we were doing. I never did anything without asking the king. And I never hesitated to ask in their presence. I said, just a minute, I've got to ask God how to do that. I used to have one VP, the executive VP. He said, Thurman, you ask God about everything? I said, yes. Yes. And that's how I've done all those magnificent things for them. I didn't do it, but God did it through me. Now, he's no respecter of persons in this wisdom. Who did he say in this chapter this wisdom is available to? All? Oh, all you got to do is ask. Ask in faith. Is that right, Tom? That's what's available to you, isn't it? Sure. It's available to everybody. I was happy with what he created, his wide world and all the human family. You mean wisdom was even there when God made us? He says he was. I wonder how much he had, I wonder how much input. Wisdom had into the design of this human body. Ty could explain that to us a whole lot better. But I've got a feeling wisdom was really working on this thing, don't you? 
Now, the things that we don't understand that, of course, Ty has been able to enlighten me to a degree on these things is when you get angry, there's things in your body that produce things that destroy other parts in your body. Isn't that all? I didn't know that. You know, you might before say, well, I don't mind getting mad at somebody. But when you find out it's killing something, your liver, your kidneys or whatever is killing, you say, hey, I guess I better not do that. I don't want to kill my body. But all that was put in by wisdom when God created you. That's the way we've been forever. But I didn't know that. Isn't that amazing? Now, what happens if you walk in love? Ooh, everything in your body works perfect. Isn't that amazing? Everything works perfect when you walk in love, right, Ty? Yeah. Your body just... Isn't it amazing that God knew all these things from the beginning? He made all this and put it all in there. And there's no respect to person. It makes no difference who you are. Male, female, big, little, young or old. The principles all work the same for every human being made. You walk in God's kind of love? I'm telling you, if you're walking the God kind of love, you can literally walk through this earth and not have sick days. But you've got to obey Him. I mean, 100%. You have to obey. Now, sometimes we think we're obeying. We're not. We are so far out there in the left field. We think we're okay. A lot of people, just like that lady that got healed here a while back, when I told her she was sinning and she had to deal with a sin issue before she could get healed, and she just blatantly said, I am not living in adultery. I'm not committing murder. I'm not lying, Thurman. I'm not doing those things. I'm living in no sin. I told her there's a whole lot of things that sin besides those things. I told her to go to God and ask her. Ask Him. He'd tell her. So He told her her bitterness and her strife at work was what was making her sick. That's a sin? Yeah, sure it is. It says it is. So when she repented and got rid of all that, she got healed. Isn't that amazing? Diabetes with big old holes that big. Normal today. Isn't that amazing? Who would have ever dreamed that a little bit of strife and could cause those kind of problems in your body? But if you ask God, He'll show you. Ask for wisdom. He said, and so my children, listen to me. I think that's a very good statement. So my children, listen to me, wisdom. For happy are all who follow my ways. You think it pays good dividends to follow God's ways? I know it does. Listen to my counsel and be wise. Don't ignore me. It's real easy. You know, sometimes mom or dad will tell you to do something. You say, ah, they're just an old fogey. They don't know what they're talking about. But they do. They've lived a whole lot longer than you have as a little child. And you ignore them. And you know what can happen to you? I mean, just like Dad. Now, son, I mean, you're going to, there's going to be boys out there. It's going to be drinking. They're going to be driving fast. They're going to be doing all kinds of crazy things. Don't get out with that, that bunch. You don't get out with them. I mean, even, even if you're not going to drink, don't ride with them. Don't go with them because they're drinking. Something could happen. And then one night, you get that phone call. Your son's in the hospital. Not dead yet. I think about this young boy I led to Jesus. This similar story. This is a true story, this one. Led this boy to Jesus on the parking lot at DFW Airport. Daddy was in the car with him. About 18, 19 years old. 
I told him, I said, son, you're now a new creature in Christ if you believe Jesus. I said, don't get involved out there with the secular world. I said, at 18 or 19 or 20, there's lots of young men that's on drugs and they drink and they get out driving fast. I said, stay away from them. Don't have nothing to do with them. You think that was good counsel? Where did that come from? Right here from the Proverbs, the Word of God. But about a year later, his dad called me on Saturday morning. Early. Thurman. My son's down in Grapevine at the hospital, and he overdosed on drugs last night. We found him in the front yard, and they say he's not going to make it. So I get up, and I go down there. I walk in. Here's this boy laying here in the bed. Can't do nothing. He's overdosed. His eyes are open. He can't talk. Daddy and mother standing right there, and a sister. And I walked up to him, and I said, Son, I told you not to get involved with the things of the world. It'd kill you. I said, do you remember that? I said, if you can hear what I'm saying, blink your eyes. He's blinked. I said, okay, you can hear me, can't you? I said, you became a child of God a year ago. And I said, the God I serve, don't play games. I said, if you will make him a promise that you will repent of this sin and you'll walk holy before him from this day forth, I'll cast this devil of hell out of you and I guarantee you'll get well. See, I've learned that that sin is what put him there. Now, his family was having a little trouble with me talking to their son like this. When the doctor says, he ain't going to live. But his daddy knew me a little better than they did. I walked down there, and I, would, I mean, I didn't pay any attention to nobody standing there. I just let the wisdom of God, I said, son... I told you not to do this. You made the wrong choices. And it technically has almost killed you. But I said, the God that I serve, that saved you a year ago in that parking lot right over there at DFW Airport, I said, he'll forgive you if you'll make sure you ask him and promise him you'll stop living in this sin. I said, are you willing to make God that promise? If you are, blink your eyes. He blinked them three or four times. I said, so you want to repent? He blinked his eyes. He can't move his head, but he blinked his eyes. I said, okay. So you have repented. Blinked his eyes. I said, okay. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, you can see this boy, and you can hear him, and you know what he's doing. You know he's repented right now. I said, he'd done a stupid thing last night. He went out and took drugs, took too many. He was out with the wrong crowd. I said, he's your son, and he almost killed himself. But I know you're going to forgive him now because he asked you because you promised in your word if we confess our sins, your righteousness just forgive us and restore us. I'm telling you, we serve an awesome God, don't we? After the boy confessed with just internally because he couldn't talk. Doctor said he ain't going to make it. I reached up and daddy's there, mother's there, family's there, all kinds of people are there. And I reached up and laid my hand and said, you devil of hell, I command you to come out of him. I said, now, Father, heal him in the name of Jesus. I said, thank you, Lord, done. I turned to walk off, and his family followed me outside. And the brothers and mother, he said, I ain't never seen a man as uncompassionate in my life over a human being as you are. (laughs) I said, I guarantee the boy is healed in the name of Jesus. And I just walked off. His daddy called me about two hours later and said, Thurman, within an hour, he was up, standing up, walking, got dressed. We're fixing to go home. Let me tell you, we don't serve a God that plays games. 
We serve a God that honors His Word. We've seen it. We've seen it over and over and over. And, of course, He's telling us here in this book of Proverbs, the wisdom that was made that you and I have access to this magnificent thing that God used to create the worlds. And all these, and it's available to us. And he says, happy. Tells us, don't ignore it. Then he says, happy are those who listen to me. What does it mean to listen to him? How many, how, just like Dave said the other day, I got tickled at something Dave said. He said, God tells us all the time to get in his word. And said, we don't. So we pray a whole lot. We talk to God, but God turns around and tells us, yeah, you talk to me all the time, but you don't ever let me talk. There's a lot of people like that, isn't it? I mean, they've got to talk. You just keep your mouth shut and let them talk. Talk and talk and talk and talk. And two hours later, they ain't said nothing. Nothing. But they've talked. I imagine that must be the way it is sometimes when we come to God. When we come and we're talking and blabbing here, and he said, yeah, I know all that stuff. But, you know, you need to get in my word and let me talk to you. You know, he has something to say that's beneficial to us, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And he'll talk to you through this word. Then happy are those who listen to me, watching for me daily at my gates. Daily? You mean I've got to talk to him, let him talk to me every day? Absolutely. If you want, that's absolutely right. And the more you stay in that book, the better off you are. Right, brother? Amen. Waiting for me outside my home. For whoever finds me, finds life. Do you want to have life? I do. Whoever finds me, finds life and wins approval from the Lord. Do you want to have approval from God? I do too. But those who miss me, and how many do you think, I would not even guess at the number of people in the church that's missed God. But who, but those who miss me have injured themselves. That's kind of like shooting yourself in the foot. You know, or taking a hole and cutting your own foot off. That'd be stupid, wouldn't it? But that's what we do when we don't get in the Word. And... All who hate me love death. I don't like that statement. All who hate me love death. You know, when you, when you meditate on this, and you read it over a few times, and you let God speak to you out of this, it will just... I mean, I, I've taught the book of Proverbs. I don't know how many times... I've read this book over and over and over. But this morning, when I sat down and read chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, prayerfully, when I got to chapter 8, he just blew the world apart with chapter 8 for me. I don't know if you got anything out of this today, but I did. I got something out of this. I've seen things in this that I've never seen before, but I've taught this whole chapter many times. On the radio, I've taught it. But today, i got things out of it I've never got before. Isn't that amazing how that happens, Fred? You read it over and over and over and over, and then one day you think, that couldn't have been in there. God, I've read that a thousand times. You must have snuck that in. But that's like the other day. That's like the other day when we were... Uh, Jordan, go back to Second Timothy uh, 2.24. 2 Timothy 2.24. Let's look at this a second before we quit. 
the Lord's servants must not quarrel. I want you to meditate on that a minute. This is a command under the new covenant. Are you one of the Lord's servants? You're a daughter of the king? How many times are you to get into a quarrel? I mean, that's what it says, isn't it? The Lord's, oh, must, he must admit, we can only quarrel once in a while with somebody. Think about this. Are you a servant of God? Are you a son or a daughter of the king of the universe? How often do you have the liberty to get into a quarrel with somebody? How often? Okay. Then why do we do these stupid things? That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. We need to ask for that so this will come, right? Absolutely. You get home and ask God for wisdom, and He's going to start flooding your heart and your mind with so many things. You say, okay, God, wait a minute. I don't want to do all those things. I can't go there, Lord. You see? He'll give it to you. And then He said, He talks to you, but you don't listen. Is that what He said? Sure. The Lord's servants must not quarrel, but must be kind to only the people that are good to you. God wouldn't do that to you and me, would He? Yes, He will, won't He? So why don't we do this? Let me ask that question. I'm going to be like that preacher that come in a new church. He was brought in under one of these denominational churches, and they brought this new pastor, and he preached a message. Man, the church, they loved it. They thought, this is great. Well, the next Sunday, he preached the exact same sermon. They thought, now, wait a minute. That was a good sermon last week, pretty good this week, but we heard the exact same words. Well, after about six weeks, same sermon. So the deacons called him and said, we've got to have a meeting. Now, that sermon you preached is really good. But do you have another one? Oh, he said, i got hundreds of them. Well, why don't you preach another one? He said, I will when you all start doing what I said in the first one. <laughs> when you start obeying. In other words, the Lord's servants are not to quarrel. He said, some of you are having quarrels and stripes and all this kind of stuff. You ain't obeying the Word. So obviously you're not hearing what God's saying. So I'm going to preach it again until you get it. See? The Lord's servants is, must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, and they must be able to teach effectively. In other words, somebody said, I can't be a teacher. Well, God says you're supposed to be able to, didn't He? You're supposed to become a teacher. Why are you not a teacher? Because you don't know the Word. If you get in God's Word and He starts talking to His Word, you can tell someone else about His Word. That makes you a teacher. It really does. That's right. Oh, yeah, your own children. Yeah, you're teaching everything. But he said you must be able to teach effectively, too. Not just teach. You must be able to teach effectively and be patient with difficult people. Oh, God, you could have left that one out. Even I saw about four or five of y'all. I knew y'all were thinking the same thing I was. I knew you just got revelation on that. When I saw you do it, I thought, you didn't get it last week when I preached it, but today you got it. You see what I mean? I just preached this the other day. And some of y'all don't even remember it already. So let's meditate on it. You must be able to teach effectively and be patient with difficult people. You said, but you don't understand my wife. You don't understand my husband. He's the most difficult guy in the world. It don't make no difference. What God tell you to do? Be patient with difficult people. What does that mean to be patient with? If there's anybody you should be patient with, it's some of your loved ones. Right? Your family, your children, your mate. Be patient with them. But God didn't draw the line with your family, did He, Fred? 
He said, you don't just have to be patient with Kathy. And Kathy, you don't have to be patient with Fred. You've got to be patient with me too, girl. <laughs> Kathy said, I don't know whether I can do that or not, but I'll try. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's what the Lord said. Be patient with difficult people. Now then, let's go to the next verse, 25, and see what he says. Now look what happens when you do those things. You should gently teach those who oppose the truth. Now, if you've got somebody that's opposing the truth, I mean, you know, you hear somebody say, well, you know, godliness is next to cleanliness. My grandma said that. I know it's in the Bible. We said, well, could you show me that? No. You can't show me that. It ain't in there. So you have to be careful. You should gently teach those who oppose the truth. Now, if, if they oppose something, don't get in a knockdown drag out with them. Don't get in a quarrel because you can't go there, right? Can't go there. So you just go say, let me find it in the Scripture. I'll come back and we'll sit down and talk about it. And when you sat down and said, well, you know, this is what the Word says. And, you know, I've done that with a few people and show them exactly what the Word says. And they said, well, I don't believe that. I mean, it's just like a preacher told me the other day, this Baptist preacher. He said, God does not heal everybody. I said, well, he said, it's not his will to heal everybody. I said, well, I know there's times that something happens beyond our control, that something we don't know about, or we don't pray the prayer of faith, or we do something, I know that there's signs people don't get healed, because I've seen it a lot of times, but I said, the Word says He does. The Word says He does. And He said, there ain't no place in that Bible you can show me where God heals everybody every time. I said, well, turn to Psalm 103, and let's read the first three verses and see what He says. He turned over there and said, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord. Bless His holy name. I said, number one, are you doing that? Well, I mean, sometimes I do that. I said, okay. Then he forgives how many of our iniquities? We well, said, he said, he forgives all of our iniquities. Absolutely all of them. I said, so you don't have a problem. Anytime comes to, any Christian comes to the Lord and says, Lord, forgive me for my sins, he'll forgive them. He said, absolutely. I have no problem with that. I said, well, then what about the rest of that? And he forgives all my sins and heals all of my diseases. But I'm not certain that's not what he means. I said, okay. I rest my case. You see, that's why we get in trouble, don't we? Because God said it, we don't believe it. Now let's go back to that verse we were at, Jordan. It's so awesome to be able to pull these things up real quick like this. It's so great. We go back to verse 25. After we should gently teach those who oppose the truth, then if we can do all those things, he told us, he said, then perhaps God will change those people's hearts. Perhaps. And they will believe the truth. So, if we're teaching them, we're teaching them gently. We're not quarreling with them. We're being patient with them. We're teaching them gently the truth of what the Word of God says. It says, perhaps God will change those people's hearts. Now, you can't change your heart. You know, I mean, women and men, a lot of women especially, they marry some guy and say, well, he's not like I want him, but I'll change him after I marry him. Forget it. Girls, that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. He, if he wasn't a wonderful, loving knight in shining armor that you wanted when you married him, forget it. Because he ain't going to become that way. And you guys, if you think you're going to marry this woman and she's got a few little characteristics that you don't like, but after I marry her, I will change her. Forget it. That ain't going to happen. You better like her or him just like he is because that's the way it's going to be, except it's going to get worse after you get married. That's the way it is. I'm telling you, that's the way it is. I'm telling you, this is just a fact. <laughs> okay. 
Now then, but it don't have to stay like that. If you see God and His wisdom and you learn to go to the throne of grace, can God change that person? Okay, now here's what we're talking about. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and then they will believe the truth. And then the next verse, let's look at this next verse. Then they will come to their senses after God changes their heart. They will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by the devil to do whatever he wants to do to them. Now then, see, that's why you were that mean, wicked guy or girl. Because you were not walking in obedience to the Word. And that devil had you... Oh, he just come by and he say, Oh, he said, there's Fred. He's in a little strife with Kathy. Him and her got in a little quarrel this week. I think I'll just get him. And he does, doesn't he, Fred? And you know that well that he'll come right in you, don't you? And that's how we pick up demons. That's how we pick up demons because we don't do what he says. Whenever we don't do what God says there, those devils, they take us captive at his will. If we're quarrelsome and we're doing all the things that he tells us not to do, we're not doing all those things. It says the devil just takes you captive at his will. So he comes by your house one day and says, oh, I think I'll just, you and your wife got in a little quarrel. He said, oh, I think I'll just take a hold of her and just really make her get really mad at you today and just read you the right act and just kick you out and not fix you no supper for a week. You know, those, pain, those things come to her mind. And if the devil comes upon you and takes you captive as well, when you're walking disobedience to the Word, there ain't nothing you can do to change that right there. When the devil takes you captive in his will, you're in trouble. And it happened because of why? You had a quarrel or knockdown drag out in your home. And the devil come by and took you captive at his will. And it's written right there in the Word of God. So what do we need to do? We need to repent and get back in a love walk with God. And when we repent and get in a love walk, how much place to the enemy do you give when you walk in total obedience to God's Word? None. He can't touch you. Jesus made you a promise. Yes, brother. That last one where it said, perhaps God. Yeah. The perhaps doesn't depend on God. It depends on us. I mean, well, I mean, isn't it if we walk in His Word, then He will? Well, that's not what it says. It says perhaps God will do that. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts. Now, let's think about this. What if that person, what if that person had have gone to the point that they had sinned to where the death sentence had been assigned to that person by God? What if that had happened? What if they'd already committed to sin unto death and God served the death sentence on that person? What if they've gone that far? In other words, let me, let me give you an example, a true example. A man, of course, I've told some of you all this story before, a man that had been a youth leader in a church, Sunday school teacher, had served God for years, and he happened to be a good friend of mine. And this guy got married for the third time in his wife, in his life. And the woman he married, she had never been married, but when they got married, she didn't... She was a Christian, said she's a Christian, but she didn't want to go to church. Now, do you all know that you've heard a lot of people say... How many times have you heard people say, you know, you don't have to go to church to serve God? You know, God understands. I can stay home and watch television. I can watch TBN until the cowboys come on, and then I can flip it over on the cowboys and the saints and the whatever and uh, whatever. And I can watch three football games this afternoon. I don't have to go to church. I'm okay. 
that ain't what the Word says. The Word says to forsake not the gathering of yourselves together on a regular basis as a manner of some are. Now, the Word tells you to do that. But this man had listened to this wife of his and stopped going to church. Well, after ten years now, he's out of church. They've been to church half a dozen times in ten years. All of a sudden, the man comes down in his fifties with brain tumors. Brain tumors. And they finally send him down to San Antonio, open the top of his head up, and he's got all these huge tumors in his brain. And the doctor made the statement, if God does not intervene in this case, this man is going to die. Well, see, what that man didn't understand, God had already intervened. That's why he had the brain tumors. Because this man had got out of touch with God, and he was not serving the king. And in this case, I prayed for that man. I went down there when he came back. I spent all day in his room in that the care center where he was. I prayed over him. I quoted every scripture I knew. I anointed him with oil. I'd done everything I knew to do for that man. And I thought he was going to get healed. I just knew he was going to get healed. But that was on Monday. And on Thursday, he died. We went back down. I couldn't believe he died. After all that time, I went down there. I did everything God told me to do. And I went back down there on Sunday to his funeral. And on the way home from that funeral, I said, God, I got to know what I did wrong. I got to know what happened here. And I stayed on God's doorstep for nearly three hours when he finally said, Son, the problem was not yours. You didn't do anything wrong. But he said, The answer to your question is in John 15, too. So I didn't know what John 15, too said at the time. But I went back to John 15, 2, and when I looked at John 15, 2, this is what it said. He cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. He is the vine, and you and I are the branches. This man had been a producer of fruit for the kingdom of God until he was about 45 years old, 43, 44, somewhere along in there. And then he met this woman. And he married her. And she didn't want to go to church, so they quit. So he stopped producing fruit for the kingdom. I now know he forsook all of the gifts that he'd got when he turned his back on God. He didn't get not one single reward when he went home. Not one. God cut him off. Whenever I made that, I said, Lord. I said, it wasn't his fault. It was the woman. She's the one that got him out of church. And the Lord said, I didn't put the woman in charge of the home. I put the man in charge of the home. He's clearly the spiritual leader. And I don't hold the woman responsible. But I do hold the man. And he said, he disobeyed me. He stopped producing fruit. So he said, I cut him off. In other words, I killed him. And the Scripture says that very thing, doesn't it? You want to live a long, good, healthy life? You better produce some kind of fruit for the kingdom of God. I mean, it's a good thing God's merciful. He gave him ten years. That man, ten years to go back to producing fruit. And he never would listen. There's no telling how many people God probably sent by. I can just see some of his buddies, you know, that knew him. He'd go by and they knew he was in church all the time. Say, hey, his name wasn't Keith. But this, since this boy's name is Keith, I say, hey, Keith, you're out of church, son. Let's go back to church. Come to church with me Sunday. Now nah, I got but my wife don't want to go. I got other things to do. I can't go. 
Don't tell them how many times somebody did that, is there? But I can guarantee you God sent somebody a lot of times, and he wouldn't hear. And so after ten years, God cut him off. Who's in control of the universe? God. He knows what he does. He does things we don't understand. He's done a lot of them in my life I don't understand. Yeah. I've had a lot of people ask me, why did your wife and daughter have to die six years ago? I ain't fully sure. I don't understand all that. All I know is it happened. Why did my little sister have to die when she was 21? You talk about a good Christian girl, that girl. I mean, when she died, she got killed. I went to God. Of course, I'd never heard his audible voice at that time. I said, Lord, if anybody should have died, it should have been me. I said, Lord, I was a wild kid. You know, I was the one that ripped up and down these highways, breaking the laws and everything. My sister, she was a lovely little lady. She led people to Jesus. She went to Sunday school. She'd never done nothing wrong, as far as I know, never. She was a clean, chaste virgin when she got married and everything. I said, Lord, she didn't do nothing wrong. Why did she have to die? He never did tell me. Never did tell me. I don't know. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to God. You know, He don't have to tell you everything. He's, he's, he's the king, isn't He? He's the king. So what do we got to do? Trust Him. Get in His Word. Learn about Him. Worship Him. Praise Him. Give Him glory and praise. Because we know that all of us... I mean, the glory, just like James and I and his brother were talking about a while ago. I mean, at least we know Brietta was sanctified by the life of Lori and James. They're Christians. They washed in the blood. So we know where that little girl's at today. We don't understand why she ain't here. But we know she's in heaven with the Lord. And if there is a blessing when Paul says, this is those, you know, we have this wonderful hope. But those that don't know Jesus don't have this hope. They have no hope. Now, I want you to think about this. Somebody said, all children go to heaven. I don't believe that. I believe what the Scripture says, children are sanctified by the blood of their parents. If James and Lori had both been wicked sinners and not served God when that little girl died, I believe she would have went straight to hell. Somebody said, I don't believe that. Well, okay. You you can believe anything you want to, and I may be wrong, and I hope I am. But all i got to say is... I mean, what I just quoted, I guarantee I ain't going to make a statement like that without backing it up with what's written. Yeah, that's exactly what God says. The children are sanctified by the parents. So, since they both know Jesus, the little child gets to go to heaven. What if their parents had not been born-again believers? Then I don't believe it would have went to heaven because it would not have been sanctified by that unholy union between a man and a woman that don't know Jesus. And I don't believe that child went to heaven. Now, somebody might argue that. I don't know. But like I say, I only know what the Scripture says. But let me tell you, I ain't taking no chances. I want to walk in obedience to the Word. Don't you? I, want, I ain't taking no chances. I mean, good grief. I mean, if, I, if, I, if right here on this side there was a little three-foot aisle way like this right here for me to walk on, and on both sides of that thing was, in fact, I'm going to tell you, I see some of those guys walking on those one-foot wide beams Hundreds of feet above the ground that are only eight or ten inches wide. You being a construction manager, you know what I'm talking about. They're supposed to have a safety line on, but some of them don't always have. But let me tell you what. I got up on top of one of these big buildings down here in Dallas here a while back. One of the tallest buildings in Dallas. One of the entrance buildings. I went up on the top floor, and it's got a rail this high, this solid as a rock. 
I feel okay at 30,000 feet in an airplane. That ain't a problem, Keith. But I could not walk up to the side of that building and put my hands on that and lean over and look over. I, I didn't feel comfortable. I ain't going there. Have any of y'all ever had those kind of sensations like I have? Hey, I don't feel comfortable. So if I'm up here and there is a walkway only three foot wide and it's 500 foot deep on this side and 500 on this side, if I don't have to walk across that thing, I ain't going at all. I ain't going. Now, if they put a great big four or five foot fence on each side, now they say build one eight foot tall that's solid where I can't see nothing on the outside, I'm okay with it. Because you don't know what's out there. But if you can see over, especially if there's no rail, any of you have been up some, some of the mountains in Pikes Peak when you look off the side and as far down as you can see, and ain't even a side rail over there? Man, I drove a little further over on the other side of the road. Because if you make a mistake, what happens? You pull off the side, it's over. You know. So don't, what I'm trying to say is don't take any chances in life. You know, do what, do what Timothy told us, Paul told Timothy. Don't get into quarrels and strife with your loved ones. Walk holy before Him. Don't get into those things, because if you do, it opens the door to the devil to your house, and he'll take you captive at his will. Is that what the Scripture said? So what do we need to do? Walk in what? Love. Love. That's it. That's the secret word. Walk in love. The devil has nothing in us, and he can't touch us. And then we can walk where God wants us to walk. And then we ask for that wisdom, and man, he'll pour that stuff out. And there ain't nothing impossible with us, is there? Father, I thank you for this beautiful day. I thank you for this Proverbs chapter 8. I thank you for the whole Word of God. Lord, it's an awesome book. I thank you for this magnificent spirit of wisdom and judgment that you put together. And they're ours. And all of the treasures of the universe are hidden in Christ, according to Colossians 2, and He's in us. Thank you, Lord, that everything's there. We ask for wisdom, knowledge, understanding, how to walk with you and to serve you and to know you better through your Word. Help us this week to get in every week, Lord, to get in your Word and read and study this book and believe that this is the owner's manual for life that is written for us from the Creator to the created beings. We're your people, and you wrote this book for us. Help us to believe it. Help us to look at it. Help us to meditate on it. Not read it fast, but read it slow, and let your Holy Spirit touch our hearts with these wonderful promises. Thank you, Father, for your Word. In the name of Jesus, amen.